From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. From the Maddie Institute, the Public Policy Institute for the Valley's four public universities, this is the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. There's no question that the COVID pandemic has impacted virtually every area of public policy. What do Democratic legislators from the Valley think are the best ways to address these issues? Our guests are Democratic State Senator Ana Caballero and Democratic State Assembly Member Rudy Salas. Welcome to the Maddie Report. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So I want to ask you first, Senator Caballero, um, I want to ask you about Governor Newsom's budget. Um, the nonpartisan legislative analyst office said that we're going to have about a $15.5 billion uh, surplus this year, but warns that going forward, we could have 11 billion over $11 billion uh, deficits if the legislature adopts the governor's proposal. So I'm just wondering, uh, the governor's proposal is spending about half of this budget on uh, one-time temporary purposes to uh, deal with the pandemic. Um, what do you think about this allocation? What do you think about this current budget that the governor's proposed? So, so let me just say that um, I was around during the last downturn in the economy, um, the Great Recession, and uh, since that time, I have supported taking revenue that comes in higher than expected and putting it into reserves. I think it's a really prudent thing to do so that you have money to use during the, the times like this when you, you have a uh, very bad economy. Um, so that's the reason that we have reserves and that's the reason that we, we take these excess funds and put and continue to put them in there. But what we know is that the economy is going to take a lot of work to come back. Many people have been out of work. They have uh, are at risk of losing their houses or losing their, their rental units. Um, small businesses have been asked to close. We need to do everything possible to be able to get them back working and do everything we can to stimulate the economy. So I, I with with um, for the most part, I, I support what he's trying to do. It's just a question of what what is the amount we should put into these programs. Assemblymember Salas, what's your perspective? Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I think Anna's right on in terms of the budget and what we were doing. You know, I've been here for the last couple of budget cycles and, you know, the state had had more money, we set it aside in the rainy day fund. And that's what the governor's looking at trying to use now using, I think you talked about it, uh, 15.5 billion in surplus revenue, but how do we spend that and what do we prioritize? Obviously uh, doing one-time funding is not gonna create a structural deficit for us moving forward. So we're definitely gonna be looking at that, right? We're a co-equal branch with the governor. The governor came out with this proposal in early January. Uh, we're going to be working through it through the legislature, but we're going to be asking those questions that Senator Caballero brought up, right? Um, what are we doing in terms of not only pandemic response, but how are we getting our economy back back moving again? How are we helping out our small businesses that employ so many people and are the backbone of California's economy? Like, how are we doing those things that are going to promote the economic engine so that we continue to move forward and have a strong economy here in California? That's, you know, that's a great segue. I want to ask you, Senator Caballero, you are uh, co-sponsoring something called SB 74, the Keep uh, California Working Act with uh, Senator Borges, a Republican from Fresno. That would invest $2.6 billion in grants for small businesses and nonprofits impacted by COVID-19. I'm just wondering, why do you think that extra money is needed on top of what Governor Newsom's already proposed, President Biden's proposing? Um, I want to get your perspective on that. Well, first of all, SB 74 was, um, was authored and put into print before the uh, federal government made, government made a commitment to um, 
create another uh, CARES package, if you will. Um, so we know that, that that's going to be beneficial. It may be that the federal government uh, continues to create more. Uh, um, President Biden has another plan uh, to put uh, people back to work. And so um, uh, what we were trying to do is to respond to the concerns that have been raised by small businesses uh, that really are, as Rudy suggested, they're the backbone of our of our economy. And um, we wanna make sure that we have enough resources to really make a difference. So let me give you an example. The governor, after SB 74 was put into print, uh, created a program and put four, $560 million into that, into that program and is rolling out a small business grant uh, effort. Uh, $235 million has been granted to date. They got close to 400,000 applications and only 6% of the applications received a grant. There's still more money in that fund, but it's very clear that it's oversubscribed. And in reality, we picked $2.6 billion for SB 74 on the on the theory of taking 10% of the of the um, revenue that we had to to use to push out into the economy and in the end that may be a really good number um, it's closer to what is required if we're really going to provide an opportunity to stimulate small businesses all over the state i just want to get only got about 10 seconds uh, some member south in the segment are you agree yeah definitely agree right small businesses is where is our economic engine here in the state of california we need to do more to promote that and help our locals uh, get people to work and get our economy moving. Okay, well, thank you very much. Well, up next, we're going to get the Republican side of the aisle, what they think about these issues. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Report. Now we're going to hear a Republican perspective on how to best to how to best deal with the challenges of the pandemic. Our guest is Republican State Senator Andres Borges uh, from Fresno. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Mark, it's great to be back on the show. So let me ask you a question about the, the governor's budget. Um, as you know, the governor proposed spending about half this year's $15.5 billion windfall on one-time or temporary purposes, and a lot of the rest going toward pandemic relief. Do you support that allocation? Well, I certainly support spending a robust amount of these unexpected one-time dollars. The LAO's office, the Legislative Analyst's office, uh, their report indicates that it's $26 billion. And so I think what we have here uh, is uh, a distinction in how accounting of expected versus required uh, appropriations are classified. But moving forward with the idea that we have $26 billion, uh, I think it is imperative based on their recommendations also that at least one half of that, which is 13 billion, be committed on a one-time basis to capital investment in dealing with the pandemic and its recovery. You know, so it's entirely appropriate. It's interesting that you say that because you know, initially the, the, the LAO did come out with 15.5, and now they've changed it to a higher number. But you know, I've been doing this for years, and invariably, when we've had Jerry Brown, he was always underselling the surplus, right? Because he wanted the, the, the legislature to set aside more money. It's his way of kind of controlling, frankly, the, the, the Democrats, Democrats in the legislature. Uh, maybe you're seeing a little bit of that again. Um, well, also, Mark, the December numbers indicate that there's an additional unexpected $3 billion based right. on December's numbers. So these numbers are certainly fluid and depending on your calculations, which is why I think a lot of legislators prefer to go in line with the LAO's uh, budget estimations because they're historically accurate. 
Yeah, and, and the LAO, LAO is, is for folks uh, who don't know, they're the nonpartisan, kind of the budget experts. Uh, and so you have the Department of Finance, which is the governor's kind of projections, and then you have the legislative analyst, which is the nonpartisan projection. And if you like them, the LAO is great. If you don't like them, you'll make some excuses to why you don't like the LAO, I suppose. <laughs> um, I'm just I'm wondering also about um, are there any specific expenditures that you support or ex uh, either support or oppose in the governor's budget? Well, I think naturally, when you do a deep dive into a budget the size that California has, uh, there's going to be things that you, you, you like, that you can tolerate and absolutely dislike. And I think one of the things that stands out right now is that the budget uh, appropriation for helping small businesses uh, started off around $500 million. Well, we know that, that is, that's relatively insignificant given the acuity of our needs in the state of California. Uh, that number has been supplemented with a new proposal for an additional 500 million plus. Even then, that number, I think, is inadequate. But we, if we have a, a round number of, let's say, a billion dollars that are that is being proposed in total, the problem with that number is that the allocation for electric vehicles is $1.5 billion. So I think you, one has to wonder given our circumstances and what we've experienced for the last uh, you know 11 months in the covid um uh, uh drawdown should electric vehicles be of higher priority to the tune of 1.5 but rescuing and supporting the backbone of the california economy be at, well, at 1 billion yeah I, well two things one i just want to clarify that the, the, of the 1.5 billion going to electric vehicles 2.3 two thirds of that is going to infrastructure charging stations one third is going to electric vehicles themselves. But let me let me talk specifically about something that you've proposed um, with Senator Caballero, this uh, Keeping uh, California Working Act, $2.6 billion for small businesses, about 1% of the state budget. I mean, people, you say 2.6 billion, oh, that's nothing, you know, it's nothing when you compare it to the state budget of, of 227 or so billion dollars, but you're proposing that a bipartisan effort, a lot of support. Why do you think it's important? Well, I think it's not just important, it's essential, Mark. Um, the the 2.6 billion was is 10% of the unexpected one-time revenue that the state has right now. So that's 10% of the 26 billion. The LAO's office, as we mentioned before, is recommending at least half of that, 13 billion, be put into capital investment. The Keep California uh, Working Act, SB 74, I introduced that in December, uh, along with my, uh, my Senate colleague on the other side of the aisle, uh, Ana Caballero, and I got to tell you, in this hyper-partisan environment, all we have to do is look at the impeachment proceedings and, uh, and the adjudication in the Senate in D.C. to understand that things are not functioning well. But this is something that is functioning very well. SB 74, as of, as of yesterday, has more than one half of the entire state legislature that is signed on. That's 63 legislators out of 120 because they understand the acuity of our needs, that small businesses that have suffered through this experience, this COVID experience, and during the vaccine distribution period that's forthcoming are, is going to, are going to need help. And this is a capital investment in the future of California, one that cannot uh, go unanswered because okay. that would be intolerable. All right. Well, we'll have more of this conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. This is Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Um, there's a saying that when there's a crisis, it presents both a danger and an opportunity. 
Does the COVID-19 pandemic create an opportunity to build a better California? Our guests are uh, Democratic State Senator Anna Caballero and uh, Democratic State Assembly Member Rudy Salas. So uh, Assembly Member Salas, I wanted to ask you, former State Controller Steve Wesley had an interesting article recently uh, where he was talking about the COVID-19 pandemic as an opportunity to reform California's tax system and kind of spread the tax burden to make it less dependent on the vicissitudes of the stock market. As you know, we have this great surplus because the stock market did well because we rely so much on capital gains. Is it the right time to control attack that very big third rail issue in politics? Yeah, let me answer your question right off the segment, right? Do these crises present an opportunity? I want to say absolutely they do. Present an opportunity to look at a lot of different issues, not just what uh, Mr. Wesley mentioned in his article for for tax reform, but even looking at the deficiencies that we see here in the state of California, you know, I know we're, we're, I'm working with Senator Caballero and a number of other legislators where we're looking at the pandemic and looking at something like just broadband access uh, for students in rural areas and in the Central Valley where they had to like work from home. So we're going to try to use what happened during the pandemic to prioritize and highlight the definite need for things like that. You know, when you look at the tax base, uh, which you alluded to with, uh, with a former controller, you know, there, there's always an opportunity to look at these things, but we also need to make sure that we're understanding all of the different impacts. I know the LAO looked at some of these excise taxes and what that actually means and, and what the LAO, our legislative analyst office, what they concluded was, you know, sometimes it doesn't have the intended effect that people think it's going to have. And it actually ends up hurting because it either, you know, when you talked about like capital gains, for instance, if, if you tax somebody so much, then they end up going to other other states or other um, other places around the world where they basically have like tax havens and then we lose out on that revenue because then you've oversubscribed it. And so you know, you're, you're, I just want to some of our audience probably knows about the legislative analyst office because we have them on on a regular basis. But those that don't, it's a nonpartisan office. That's kind of the, the budget experts. Um, so uh, that's what Assemblyman Rudis uh, Resalis is uh, referring to there. Uh, can I ask uh, Senator Caballero, what is your thought on this? You know, uh, there there always is an opportunity during a crisis. You just got to figure out which which are the opportunities you're going to jump on right away. Um, the tax issue is just fraught with all kinds of challenges. And what you want to do is make sure it's fair. And as Rudy said, that you're not ending up uh, chasing people out of the state of California. Frankly, the kinds of issues that I'm focused on trying to take it to, to really solve is the broadband issue. Um, rural California has been disproportionately impacted because we don't have adequate broadband uh, accessibility and our students are, are really behind the eight ball on, on because of that. Um, number two is we have a very inadequate healthcare system and it, it's, it's reflected in the, the amount of coronavirus in the farm worker community, which does not have access to um, to to uh, medical services and uh, and and has been disproportionately impacted. So, so there are so many issues. Whether we're talking about education, or whether we're talking about access, uh, that we're now going to be dealing with. In addition to the homelessness and the housing crisis, again, which has really been exacerbated because of COVID. So many things that need to be resolved. It's hard to decide that taxes are going to be more important. Right. Especially when you say that and everybody's hair goes up. Right, right. Hair goes on fire. On fire, right. Um, I wanted to go back to Assemblymember Salas because you point out an interesting thing you're talking about, both of you talking about the digital divide. I'm just wondering, uh, do you think this presents an opportunity? The pandemic actually presents an opportunity to reimagine 
the California economy to make both businesses more competitive, but also close that income inequality gap that we're seeing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, this pandemic highlighted that the, the need why we need to have broadband. Everybody saw it when there were kids were studying from home and had to log, log in. But, you know, you have communities like Lost Hills or places out in the valley where they're having a hard time just having a consistent Internet connection. So it highlights um, the deficiencies that are out there. And I would say, you know, being able to have access to high speed internet is now essential. It's just as essential as having electricity and making sure that you're having clean water because then you're gonna you're gonna create inequities by not allowing these kids to actually go to school and to do that online. And so, you know, telemedicine is the other big thing right. because we don't have access to as many doctors and nurses. Uh, we've pushed legislation. I've had some legislation signed by the governor recently, too, to actually help push more telemedicine programs and to promote it. Promote it. So whether it's like mental health or dermatology or any other uh, reason somebody needs to go see a doctor, a lot of times in the Valley, and especially during the pandemic when you weren't supposed to be moving uh, to bigger, larger population centers, this is a great way for people to connect to their doctors and yeah, it's, it, you know, the, closing the digital divide is not a panacea, but I tell you, it hits a lot of topics. It's education, telework, telemedicine, pretty significant. Well, I want to thank you very much for giving your insights on that. Up next, we're going to hear from the Republican perspective on these issues. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We've heard from the Democrats uh, about what they're going to do to deal with some of the pandemic issues. We're now going to hear a Republican perspective with uh, Fresno Republican State Senator. Andres Borges, um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, the situation with the budget. Um, you know, it's interesting, Steve Wesley, the former controller, said that, you know, what you're seeing is uh, the impact of high income taxpayers, uh, what their impact they're having in the budget. That's why we have the surplus. And he's saying, you know, maybe we should, this is an opportunity to kind of reevaluate how we deal with uh, revenue uh, and making it more evenly distributed. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Is this an opportunity to kind of address uh, a big third rail issue, uh, tax reform? Well, I, I always think that if given the opportunity that we should uh, certainly uh, address uh, taxes and ways to improve uh, the efficiency uh, and accountability of the government. I think what we have here though is kind of an unexpected revelation. And I don't know the individual to whom you're referring, but I think it's pretty well known throughout the state that a significant portion of our taxes come from a very small percentage of uh, the the higher the highest earning levels of the state and that kind of begs the question is this sustainable and i think the answer is showing that it probably isn't if we continue on this track forward uh, and what i mean by that is that if the highest earners uh, the most highly educated the most highly qualified the most highly skilled uh, uh, folks that are part of the California economy are contributing the most, the instinctive uh, uh, reaction to that is that you keep on going back to the well. And I think what's going to happen, and we've seen this with uh, corporations and major symbolic leaders in industries, is that California is not as attractive as it once was. All anybody had to do is pick up a newspaper and see, you know, that Tesla and uh, in other icons of industry are relocating or partially relocating to other states like Texas and Arizona. So if you're thinking about skilled labor following industry, if you're looking at standard of living, the cost of living, and the upward mobility of populations, 
if they're being absolutely maxed out in terms of tax uh, levies, it's only a matter of time, and we've already seen it, before that begins to drip away. And so well, it's unsustainable. But but you have to have revenue. State has to have revenue. So how do you, would you be interested in something that was maybe revenue neutral, but spread the um, the tax burden a little bit more equally? Well, I think I think I'd be interested in learning more from from experts in the field. What are some of their recommendations? Absolutely. And if there's a, a meritorious review of how we can improve our tax situation, uh, I would absolutely love to be a part of that and learn so much more. We've heard this at the national level about having a flat line or standard baseline uh, uh, tax, whether it be income or whether it be purely sales. We've seen other examples across the globe. Um, but if you take a look at, at, our, at our tax code, it, both you and I are attorneys. You can't make heads or tails of it. So if you're thinking, you know, at the state level, I just, I, you know, I, when you say that, I remember looking at the uh, the IRS regulations on income, which is like one uh, section sixty one, one section in the IRS code. You go to the regulations; it goes on for volumes, fills up most of the books behind me. It's, it's, let me ask it. Let me ask a quick. Complicated. Let, let me ask a quick question because I want to get this in, and that is this whole issue of, you know, post pandemic. Maybe there's an opportunity here to make help make businesses more competitive, really improve the California economy and maybe deal with this issue of uh, income inequality. Other than tax cuts, are there other things that the state maybe can do, whether it's closing the digital divide, you know, and, and enhancing apprenticeship opportunities that can make businesses more competitive, but also close that income inequality gap? Great questions. As an educator, um, this is something that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, the, the opportunities uh, for, for, for folks to go to school, at least our generation and ones before it, it was premised on the affordability of education. Now, we've now seen that uh, college and university, uh, by and large, is becoming less and less affordable. So if you want to talk about the competitiveness of the workforce and the upward mobility of those that intend to get into it, you're going to have to look um, comprehensively at what the, not just the California, but the American experience and what we can what we can expect. But from my standpoint, I believe in strong vocational education, uh, hearkening back to a period of time where people uh, learned uh, skills that were needed because that is the generation of entrepreneurs. Fresno State, for example, where you are, is a perfect example of an institution that is focusing in on entrepreneurship because in the Valley, uh, where both of us are from, we have a super service uh, economy that is heavily ag dependent. So diversifying our economic base is essential. Yeah, no question about it. Well, I wanna thank our guest, State Senator Andres Borges, as well as also State Senator Ana Caballero and Assemblyman uh, Rudy Salas. California's had some pretty big issues prior to the pandemic and they're sure to be here after the pandemic is over. What are, what are our state legislators doing to address those issues? First, we'll get the democratic perspective from two valid uh, democratic legislators. Democratic State Senator Anna Caballero and Democratic State Assembly Member Rudy Salas. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Um, so, uh, Senator Caballero, let me ask you first. Uh, one of the big issues that was confronting the state prior to the pandemic was housing and homelessness. It's going to be here after the pandemic is over. Um, how do we solve those problems? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the estimates range between 1.5 to 3.5 million housing units short. So this is not a problem we're gonna solve overnight. It's something we need to start moving on. Um, and, and so there's, there's two issues. One is the homelessness issue, which is significantly different than the housing crisis. And um, so it, 
the production of housing is the solution to both of them. But, uh, but the homelessness crisis has a lot of other issues related to mental health issues, drug and alcohol issues, um, and, and that's going to take a longer time to, to resolve. In regards to the housing crisis, um, there are a number of, of issues. The Senate put together a housing task force that created a whole series of bills. One of the bills that, that I'm carrying as part of that um, group is SB6 this year. And what it does is it permits the uh, development of housing in commercial uh, zones, commercial and retail zones, like those old strip malls and the malls. What we've seen is people now are starting to spend their money um, on the internet. And a lot of these stores are going bankrupt, particularly in rural California. And so it provides an opportunity to create a village where you can have a walkable community and, um, and, and really we're building up, not out, and we're saving ag and range land and parkland. Yeah, you can repurpose uh, those malls and have it a mixed-use right. situation. Uh, really interesting. Um, as Senator Marsalis, what is your take? You know, housing and homelessness is not. They think it's a, a lot of people think it's a coastal issue. It's not. It's affecting valley communities. What is your prescription? How to address those issues? Yeah, no, these issues didn't go away. They're still here, right? I know we talk about COVID and the pandemic and vaccines now, but all these other issues, homelessness, housing, still remain issues that we need to tackle. I know even in the governor's proposed budget, he's proposed $1.75 billion, uh, you know, to buy like, for instance, the Project Home Key, where it was converting a lot of the old uh, motels and turning them into like affordable housing units for, for the homeless. Um, and we saw that in a number of communities up and down the entire Central Valley, where different cities and, and smaller cities, not just the big cities, were actually taking some of this funding and pushing it towards uh, addressing that homelessness issue. We know that when we're talking about homelessness, we also got to talk about mental health. And that's why we're always focusing there as well. Uh, the legislature is still focusing on trying to create more affordable housing. There's a Senate package. There's an assembly package. There's a bunch of packages out there of everybody trying to address this. So whether you're looking at uh, something as simple as adding another uh, ADU to your existing house to build another bedroom. By the way, known as granny flats. For, yeah, for our, granny flats, right? I know. I was going to say, you know, the mother-in-law quarters. <laughs> right. But, so, you know, whether it's something like that or actually just making sure that when you're using those mixed use or repurposing things, whether it's an old mall or uh, box retail, that, that we're actually addressing these issues that we need to solve regionally. You know, you're kind of touching on another issue. You said mental health is also just the general health issue. So, Senator mm -hmm. Caballero, I'm going to ask you about that. Uh, how, do we, how do we address improving Valley health outcomes? That, that is really important. So um, I think one of the issues is going to be the expansion of healthcare alternatives for populations that heretofore have not been able to participate. The legislature has, over the past couple of years, um, included uh, undocumented workers, younger uh, students, so that they can end up on their uh, parents' insurance and the elderly. And so we need to continue uh, kind of mining away at that and trying to include as many people as possible. Taking care of the health of everyone in the community benefits the entire community. And I think this COVID um, pandemic has shown us more than, than ev anything ever could, that we're all in this together and we all benefit when the health of the community is better. You know, aren't you supporting um, SB uh, I think it's six, is it 697 um, on the physician's assistance? Uh, yes. 
expansion of that? Could you just describe it very briefly? Yes. So, so um, uh, that bill passed and was signed by the governor, and that um, that bill provided an opportunity for physician for um, physicians assistants have to be supervised by doctors, and um, the, the the it limits the kind of work that they can do independently. And what the bill uh, does is it provides them an opportunity to work a little bit more independently independently from the doctor so for example they could be located in a in an office somewhere else as long as the doctor is reviewing the decisions that the pa uh, does and so it's it's a different it's working within their life their their licensing but it gives them a little bit more flexibility provides a little more flexibility okay we're yes, and, and it provides an opportunity to send them out to um, rural communities that have no medical access and no pharmacies and and right. it's tremendously important we now want to get the Republican perspective on some of the big issues that predated the COVID pandemic and are sure to be with us after the COVID pandemic is, is over. Our guests are Republican Assemblymember Keith Flora from Ripon and State Assemblymember Devin Mathis from Visalia. Welcome to the Maddie Report. Thanks for Thank having you. us. So, Assemblymember Flora, I want to ask you first, um, you know, we spoke with your Democratic colleagues about the state's ongoing challenges. And the first thing we talked about was uh, basically affordable housing and homelessness. I'm just wondering um, what can be done to address those problems? I think one of the issues that we've had in the past and since I've gotten here, I've been here on my fifth year now, is we tend to address these issues with very broad strokes. And a lot of times what we're seeing is these are much more regional issues. Uh, the folks that are homeless or housing issues that are affecting my district are very, very different than the homeless folks that are in San Francisco. And we don't tend to look at it that way as a legislator. We tend to look at it as one size fits all. And we can do one thing in, in San Francisco and it'll trickle down into the Central Valley and we'll be able to make that work. And in reality, it simply doesn't. You know, I think you look at what San Diego has done in the past, which was a little bit outside the norm, where you know, you'd, you'd come from a mindset of, we do have a responsibility to care for these people, to love these people, to try to get them out of the weather, to get them the help that they need. But if you tell them that there is a location and you build the facilities and then they refuse to go, there needs to be consequences to that as well. And so I, I kind of have this hybrid approach where I think we are responsible to get them the, the shelter that they need, but then there's an enforcement side of this that has to be done as well. Yeah, some, uh, Mathis, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it, you know, I think, uh, you know, Mr. Flora touched quite a bit on uh, a lot of the problems with it. I think the other part, uh, is also looking at a, a triage type mentality on the mental health side. You know, mm -hmm. what are the mental health pieces that cause them to go homeless? Is it is it drug addiction? Is it drug addiction that has caused the mental health issue? And we also have to address those pieces of this as well. Because um, people are homeless for multiple different reasons. They have different things going on that led them to there. Uh, one of the other things also that's not talked about enough is the cost of living in California. And, you know, the cost of living here continues to rise. And instead of doing things to bring to bring that cost down, all we ever hear about is, well, let's increase minimum wage, which we know just creates more inflation. And we need to be looking at bringing the cost of living down. Yeah, well, let me, you know, you asked, it's a good segue for the next question I wanna ask you, Assembly Mathis, and that is about uh, healthcare. Uh, it's an ongoing problem for a lot of Valley communities, both urban and rural. Um, is there anything the Republicans, you know, you're in a tough spot because they're a minority party. Is there anything that you guys can propose or support to address that issue? Well, you know, it's, uh, 
Dr. Joaquin Arambula, one of our other Valley Assembly members, uh, him and I both sit on budget sub one, uh, along with Assembly Member Patterson. And, you know, we work pretty uh, bipartisanly on a lot of these issues. And so it, it's not really so much of what we can introduce. What I really look at is the function of the programs that we have. How are they working? Are people able to use them? What are the mechanics of them and how we can make them better? Yeah, kind of focusing on the efficiency issue. Uh, some of the member floor, what are your thoughts on on this issue of uh, adequate health care for, for Valley communities? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a well-known fact that you know, we have an access problem for, for many, many years. You know, we tend to fight about insurance, you know, having insurance, make sure single payer, whatever that com conversation looks like, however it's shaped um, for that particular day or for that particular argument. At the end of the day, my constituents have issues with access. So until we can bring access to the Central Valley, until I can have dialysis clinics, you know, in, in every community, until we can have a cardiologist, you know, in every other community, we have an access problem. And it's you something, know, go ahead. You're bringing up a really good point and it kind of dovetails with another idea and that is kind of the digital divide, right? A lot of folks now are using telemedicine. I mean, is that maybe another way to get at this issue, improve, improve access, broadband access in the Valley? 100%. I think if there is any positives that we can take out of COVID, it's rip that bandaid off of what telehealth is. And some of the proponents of it previously are now understanding it's literally the only way that they can serve their patients. So that that weird misnomer about what telehealth was going to do, um, you know, and how people are going to get paid versus a brick and mortar. Um, those are all conversations that we still have to have. But people are absolutely becoming more comfortable with having a conversation with their primary care doctor over. Um, but I will also say that people also need to go to the doctor. They need brick and mortar buildings, brick and mortar doctor's offices have not been replaced. Telehealth is just a good tool. Yeah, I, I will. I will say this. I, I have, but I have tried telehealth um, myself. It, it's it's interesting. It's it's a brave new world. We're talking with two Valley Democratic legislators, Democratic Senator Anna Caballero and Democratic State Assemblymember Rudy Salas about some of the big issues that are confronting the state, that we're confronting the state prior to the pandemic or sure to be here after the pandemic is over. So Senator Caballero, I wanna ask you about uh, criminal justice. Um, really big issue, major topic prior to the pandemic. What if anything do you think needs to be done to improve public safety? Well, you know, there were a number of bills last year that were proposed and we, with the COVID vir uh, virus um, raging, we, we, we had to cut our session a little bit short. And so I believe a lot of those bills are gonna be be coming back. Um, I did a bill a couple of years ago, SB 230, that sets up a, um, a training obligation and um, and it's become operative this January. All police departments need to learn de-escalation strategies. Um, there's new obligations to uh, report instances of um, use of force that is excessive uh, to supervisors, the, the responsibility to report it to um, to the, to report it and to investigate it, um, and so there there are a lot of new requirements, and I expect we'll continue to see that. I know there's interest in uh, improved educational requirements, whether it's a, a AA or a BA, and I know that there are. Uh, more issues have been raised because of some of the instances we see happening all over the country. I know Assemblymember Salas has a bill. Could you explain the bill you have on on criminal justice? 
Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, this law enforcement issue isn't going away. And, you know, what we saw even before the pandemic, right, with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, with the d individual rallies and protests that we saw, not just across the state of California, but across the country. You know, this is an issue that's not going to go away just because we have the pandemic doesn't mean these other issues fall to the wayside. We still need to focus on them. I've introduced legislation, Assembly Bill 60, which we're calling the Law Enforcement Accountability Act. And it's addressing some of those issues that that people were um, highlighting uh, during their, their protests. And it's things that we've seen in our communities. Uh, I know we've seen it here in the Central Valley, for instance, when uh, a law, a, a peace officer, a cop basically uh, is doing something wrong. And what they do is they end up resigning instead of the investigation actually coming to completion. And what we found is a lot of times those cops that were that were going to be under investigation or were under investigation resigned. And a lot of times they end up in some of our Valley, Valley cities and towns. And, and what we, what we said is like, that's not right. Why should we have to bear the burden in the central Valley of these individuals that have questionable past without, right. without um, the investigation going to completion. So this bill, assembly bill 60, one of the provisions and there does a couple of other things as well. But one of them is to make sure that investigations are done to completion so that when they go to another city, um, they actually have a complete report and can make the decision like, Hey, do we want to hire somebody that's had two, three, sometimes even four questionable misconduct uh, charges? Cause do the taxpayers in that city want to bear that responsibility if something goes wrong? Yeah. And I'm going to switch gears, gears completely on you, some of the Marsalis. I want to ask you about um, just the transition in the energy industry. You, know, you see GM saying that they're not going to produce any more internal combustion engine cars by 2035. Uh, obviously, it's going to have a big impact on the South Valley and Kern County. Um, you know, what's the state doing to help Kern County and the South Valley transition from a fossil fuel economy to a green economy? You know, I've been talking with the governor directly and the administration about this for a for about a number of years now. How are we going to do this? Because at the end of the day, what I tell um, the administration and the previous governor and this governor is we want to make sure that people have good paying jobs. And when you look at the energy industry, that's that's where they have uh, great paying jobs and the skills to actually do that. Uh, that's why we've also been pushing legislation on bioenergy. I don't know if you just saw the uh, recent media report on the growing amount of bioenergy and uh, biofuels. Uh, uh, refineries and plants actually going up through up and actually throughout the Central Valley. And so we've been pushing that. We'll have legislation this year that actually helps streamline that uh, Assembly Bill 322. We had some la we had one last year that was signed into law. But it's really, you know, how are we going to provide those good paying jobs? And whether yeah. it's in, uh, one sector or another, if it's in ener energy, we need it here in the state of California. Yeah, and I think people understand that Kern County is an energy county and it's more than just fossil fuels. They've got, you know, large exactly. solar farms and, and wind farms and, and a lot of other things. Uh, yeah. Senate yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was say the Central Valley's not only has uh, the petroleum, but it's got wind, it's got solar, and mm -hmm. then now we're actually even looking at carbon sequestration projects out on the west side. And so, you know, the Central Valley can be a mecca for energy for the rest of the state and really uh, the country. I want to end up on a, on a, on a very positive note here. Senator Cobb, I want to ask you, I mean, a lot of people say bipartisanship is dead, yet you've introduced bipartisan legislation with Senator Borges from Fresno. Uh, the Keep California Working Act. I mean, are you going to see? Are we going to see more of that in the future? We've only got about five sec, ten seconds, but I want to get yes. your perspective. Yes, okay. I expect that, we, that you will. I mean, we're we're working really hard at trying to solve the the problems that we have in the valley, and we need to do it together. We're talking with two Republican Valley legislators: Republican State Assemblymember Heath Flora from Ripon, and Republican State Assemblymember Devin Mathis from Visalia, to get their perspective on some of the big issues confronting California. 
Uh, Senator Flo, I want to ask you about uh, a big issue prior to the pandemic, and that was criminal justice reform. Um, so what's the answer here? Is it in, in spending more money on public safety or is it improving the existing use of the resources that we already have for public safety? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think the answer is a little bit of both, to be quite frank. I, I think that the the concept of defunding the police is an absolutely horrible idea. But I also know that our law enforcement community is ready and willing to make some changes that they also feel is necessary. Some changes that have been, you know, long time coming. And so I'm excited about that. But some of those changes, new curriculum requires money. It requires resources. So I absolutely support, you know, funding the police. And I absolutely support their willingness to make a few changes in life and how we, how we you know, police our communities. Yeah, Senator Mathis, I mean, you know, what Senator uh, Flores is, uh, is, uh, Flor is talking about is are things I think like, you know, improving training, uh, providing more money for that. Uh, there's another issue that is kind of a sensitive issue, and that is perhaps streamlining the disciplinary process. Uh, the police unions are going to have a say about that. And what are your thoughts on improving the criminal justice system? Well, it's a lot of what uh, Mr. Flor already said. You know, some of the great programs that I see that we need to do more of are, are things like my local sheriff, Mike Boudreau, does. Um, you know, they, they opened up uh, sports leagues in disadvantaged communities where our law enforcement officers are actually the coaches and, and out there and changing that mentality that the police are bad and really breaking that cycle and that thought process. So people know that. You know, these are role models. These are people we can go talk to. These are people that are here to help us uh, versus having a different mentality. About yeah, it. yeah. The, the police athletic leagues have been, been around for, for a long time and, and maybe what's old will be, be new again. Um, I want to ask both of you about uh, the issue of wildfires. Uh, huge issue in, in California, becoming more so. Uh, Senator Floor, I'll start with you first. Um, you know, two questions. One is, does man-made uh, climate change have anything to do with the intensity and frequency of wildfires? And two, how do we address the issue? So the answer to the first question is yes, it does. Um, I also know, um, having spent decades fighting these fires, that there are three things that sustain fires. It's oxygen, it's fuel, and it's ignition. You take one of those three things away, a fire goes out. The only thing that we can control is the vegetation side of things, the fuel load. And for hundreds of years, our Native American friends have shown us the way to do this properly where they go and we burn these small, you know, very low intensity um, undergrowth fires and we clean out our, our forest floors. We take out the trees that are touching each other so we don't get fires that run across the canopies. All of these, these things we can do and we know how to do it if we had the political will. Sadly, some of our environmental friends do not like to see that or hear that, but it's something that we're working through currently. But yeah, there is a pathway. You're touching on a very important point. There was a Little Hoover Commission report uh, about this very issue and the whole idea that for 100 years we followed this fire suppression model when we really should be thinking about these prescribed burns as a possible solution. Um, of course, there's an air pollution question as well, but you know, those things need to be addressed. Uh, Some of Mathis, what are your thoughts on, on wildfire? The no, the prescribed burn aspect, we also need to look at other mitigations about, you know, opening up grazing. You know, there's the old saying of... Uh, you know, log it, graze it, or watch it burn. And it's very true. And there's a reason why that's out there. Uh, yeah, so it's, that's an issue I'm sure we're going to be seeing more of. Senator Flora, I, I want to end with you on this uh, quick note about, you know, the possibility of bipartisanship. I mean, you know, Democrats have both uh, 
uh, houses uh, in the uh, California legislature by large margin, frankly. But there's been some bipartisan attempts. Uh, there's this SB 74, Keep a California Working Act, a $2.6 billion grant for small businesses. Is that the start of bipartisanship in, in the California legislature? Oh, I think it's a, it's one of the most bipartisan bills I've seen since I've been elected. Um, and Senator Borges, Senator Caballero did an incredible job with SB 74. And it's actually was very, very sad because at the last moment, uh, because of politics, Senator Borges' name was stripped off that bill and Senator Men's name was put on. And the governor made it very, very clear that he would not allow a Republican to be a joint author on such a great piece of legislation. Well, Even though Senator Borges and Senator Caballero had worked together across the state, got over 64 of us electeds in both houses to sign on as co-authors because well, of politics. That's were, that's unfortunate. And hopefully people still know who really did the work on that bill. I want to thank our, our guests, Assemblymember Mathis, Assemblymember Flora for being here, as well as Democratic Assembly members Rudy Salas and Democratic State Senator Anna Caballero. This is Mark Kepler for the Report. Thanks for joining us. If you want to stay current with state and local politics, you can log on to our website at maddieinstitute.org. This is Mark Kepler for the Report. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed in the Matter Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed on the Matter Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Maddie Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.